This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm your host, Chris Jones. What if Twitter went away? That might have seemed like a mad question a couple of years ago, but flash forward to today, and it could actually become a reality. Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, which for some reason he's now named X, so far hasn't worked out at all. And last week, his relationship with advertisers got even worse after he told former investors to go fuck themselves. Well, joining me now to paint a picture of just how bad this situation could be for the world's biggest social media platform is journalist Ryan Broderick, whose work you can see on his Substack Garbage Day. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about my favorite person in the world, Elon Musk. And we're excited to hear you uh, talk about it. It's uh, a bit of a shitstorm right now, as it has been really since Uh Musk took over. Why did Musk have this weird tantrum. I think I remember reading that it was because uh, the likes of Disney, for example, have, have pulled advertisement from the platform. Yeah, it was it was largely focused on Disney and Bob Iger, the head of Disney, uh, pulling their advertising over the fact that he, Musk, had been interacting with extremely anti-Semitic content on X and has kind of let the platform deteriorate to a level where most advertisers are no longer comfortable being on there. And there have been multiple reports now uh, that ads were showing up next to some of the most racist, offensive, hateful content you can imagine. So there's there's a big advertising exodus happening across the platform right now, which culminated with Elon Musk having a meltdown on CNBC about it. There's a lot of different theories about why. Um, I subscribe to the simplest one, which is that he is realizing that his expectations of how owning Twitter would go, or X as it's now called, is not lining up with reality. And he had a, a little tantrum. And it has made things, of course, much worse. So I think I remember reading uh, 90% of a Twitter's revenue comes from from advertisers. So the fact that there is a, a an advertising exodus, as you just described it, sounds like it could be massive for this platform. It's a problem. It's a real problem. Twitter was sort of seen as one of the more luxurious social platforms to advertise on in the mid-2010s because yeah. it had a really selective user base. It wasn't the biggest platform in the world, but you had politicians, you had members of the media, you had artists, you had creatives there. So advertisers wanted to be there. And most social platforms run on advertising. That's basically what they are. So Elon Musk has attempted to replace parts of the advertising business with a subscription model, which is not going well based on everything I read about it. 
So the yep. fact that the biggest advertisers on the site are leaving uh, is not ideal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned there about the subscription uh, model, it just seems to have, like many things that Musk has changed about Twitter, it just seems to have, to put it bluntly, pissed a lot of users off. Is, is that something that you would agree with? Yeah. I mean, definitely. The subscription model doesn't make a lot of sense for something like Twitter because Twitter's utility was in being a sort of main feed for the internet. It's actually something that even Elon Musk has acknowledged. He said that he wanted to buy Twitter in part because he wanted to create this global feed of human interactions, but he's now paywalling parts of it and kicking out or scaring away the biggest advertisers, uh, having you know beefs with the most prominent users and making them leave. So it, it is kind of a bizarre thing. It's why there's now a conspiracy theory circulating that he's doing this on purpose to lower its value, which I don't really buy into. But it is confusing when you look at it. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. His, his interpretation of why the site is valuable was correct. And every single decision he's made since he purchased it has been more wrong than, than is even conceivable. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that tantrum that he, he had. Um, because it just screamed of insecurity. It, it was weird. It, I don't quite understand why he did it. And and that has led a lot of people to perhaps think that it's some kind of PR stunt. Is that something that you might necessarily think it was? Or do you think this is just Musk being Musk? I've read that argument. I've read the, this idea that he is, he is doing this all on purpose. And I... I I just don't think that anyone can keep up that kind of act at this sort of level of scrutiny that long. I, I, I just I don't think anyone could. The the, uh, the 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 theory that I kind of buy into is that he doesn't know anything about running a social media business, but he thought he did, which explains yeah. some of the behavior. And then I also think that as it has started to become uh, undeniable that the site is failing and dying. He is starting to lean in to both his own fan base and the ongoing right-wing culture war in America and specifically in American tech. So going to war with Disney specifically is, is a very uh, convenient move for him because Disney is sort of one of the big boogeymen of the conservative movement in America because they're quote unquote making their movies too woke. So the, the fact that he's specifically going against Disney is definitely uh, on purpose as far as I can see. And possibly, I mean, I've heard, okay, this is one other theory I've heard, which I, I think is like fairly solid, which is that there's yeah, possibly some sec investigations on the horizon. There's probably some, some, some government oversight that's about to hit him. And if he can spin what's going on as a witch hunt against him by yeah. the, the liberal elites, quote unquote, or whatever, I think it, he believes it could help his case. But very simply, I just think that he is a rich guy who thought he knew what he was doing, didn't, and is now beginning to realize that everyone knows that. And so it's very embarrassing. And he's, he's having meltdowns all the time about it, both online and off. Yeah, and you mentioned about um, picking a fight with Disney there. You would have thought that he would have seen what had happened with Ron DeSantis and Disney, for example, and not chosen to go down that path because it hasn't really worked out very well for DeSantis um, of late. But um, just talking about Musk's decisions and especially engaging with the um, political right, which you've mentioned and, and we've seen him do um, in America, there's something that you wrote as well that looks beyond America. And, and you said been, he'd been mixing with the Irish far right. Um, 
do you think that this engagement with, I guess, the global right, as it were, is uh, proving to be a big part of not just his downfall, but the downfall of Twitter as well? I think so. Um, very early on when he bought this website, uh, I had made the argument that a purely right-wing social network can't really function. And we've seen examples of this with websites like Parler or Gab or Donald Trump's Truth Social. And the reason it doesn't really work is because, at least online, the American conservative movement online is pretty much entirely based on antagonizing their political enemies. So Twitter was sort of like a, uh, a battlefield for them in the, in the 2010s. And Donald Trump's entire campaign was sort of built around the idea of using Twitter to, um, to piss off the normies, to go after the SJWs, yeah. to sort of create this culture war online. Now that those people are leaving Twitter because of its declining standards and moderation, because it doesn't work anymore, because they just don't want to get harassed or whatever we're seeing a larger amount of desperation from the people who are still on Twitter and especially those who are paying to be on Twitter. And I think this is causing both uh, the rise in violence and sort of hate, hate speech that we're seeing on yeah. Twitter, but also um, this like constant cycle of being outraged over random TikTok videos that different verified users are sharing. They're, they're trying to keep this base galvanized. Uh, and we've seen this with earlier social networks too. I mean, 4chan, the, the sort of like ultimate symbol of right-wing internet use would go on what they call raids all the time, where they would pick, you know, a random Tumblr blog or a, or a, a liberal subreddit uh, or a, a message board that women used, and they would go after them and they would all make accounts and they would attack them. And so we've seen this for almost 20 years now. But now that all of those people are on Twitter, they're quickly running out of things to talk about because like there's, yeah. there's no enemy there anymore. They're, they're, they're all moving elsewhere. So you mentioned a few examples there, like 4chan. But have we ever actually seen an implosion of a social media website as big as this, like this before? Or is this just completely new? We sort of have. I mean, there's there's examples we can point to to kind of create a picture of what the next six to nine months for X will look like. So MySpace is obviously the biggest social network to die. Most of the last 15 years of mainstream social media use uh, on the company side, on the corporate side, in my opinion, has been built around the idea of preventing that from happening again. So Meta, you know, back when they were still Facebook, they buy Instagram because it's the hot new website and they integrate it into their suite because they don't want to have a user base that ages out. But of course, you know, TikTok has, has popped up and that's causing some problems there. But we've also seen this yeah. with Reddit, for instance. So in the early 2010s, Reddit had a series of subreddits that were just like unacceptable. Um, there were a lot of those kinds of communities on Reddit. And so there was an advertiser boycott. Reddit got rid of the subreddits and the and the advertisers slowly came back. And then in 2017, there was the YouTube adpocalypse, which was similar. It was basically there was a bunch of unacceptable content uh, as far as advertisers were concerned on YouTube. The press latched onto it. It caused a big problem for YouTube. Advertisers left. They got rid of the content or they de they deprioritized the content in their algorithms and the advertisers slowly came back. So historically, um, you either see advertising boycotts, which, you know, force the platform to respond or you see the 
the platform slowly lose cultural relevance and then go through a series of like acquisitions and it just sort of disappears. Uh, those are usually yeah. the two models. What's interesting is that because Elon Musk has never found a rake that he didn't want to step on, he's having both things happening at the same time. So he's losing the most culturally relevant users while also yeah. single-handedly in off, uh, often times causing advertiser boycotts. Mm. So I'm, I, I'm, I don't know how it will end, but I don't think it's going to be good. Twitter's also been a, a key tool for commentators and journalists, um, mostly to gauge the mood on, on things like elections and many other things. But has that just become toxic under Musk's leadership? Do you, do you think that Twitter's role for journalists has changed dramatically for the worse? Uh, to a degree. I, I, think, I think the biggest problem that we're seeing in America is without Twitter, we can't really judge the size and the scale of culture anymore. And we're seeing this all over the place. Before, in the, in the 2010s, when Twitter was really important, most of our media and most of our politics were using it as a barometer for what was going on in the world, whether it was accurate or, or not. And now that there are less people on Twitter and it is apparently no longer tracking what is important, we're seeing uh, this shift really drastically. And people are trying to use TikTok in a similar way, but it doesn't really, yeah. it doesn't really work that way. Uh, the other problem is that with the Twitter replacements that are popular right now, so you have Blue Sky, which is the yeah. decentralized invite-only platform that's very small. It's like just around 2 million users. And then you have Threads, which is owned by Meta and is definitely gaining popularity with the media, but it's still like not super relevant. And neither of those mm. have the like exact combination of users that Twitter had at its peak. And it's it's likely that we'll never see that again, actually. Um, I'm, a, I'm kind of pessimistic that we'll ever get another Twitter. Why is, why is that? Well, the way Twitter rolled out over the years was very unique. It started with Silicon Valley insiders and like, you know, early tech adopters. Yeah. And then um, it became a place where Members of communities like somethingawful.com started making accounts and created that right. subculture that we refer to as weird Twitter. So there was this early sort of group of like cool Twitter users. And then the media started to use it as well. I mean, I was taught how to use Twitter in a journalism school class in like 2008. So it, yeah. it, it had an early place there. And then quickly it started to adapt to the American news cycle in particular. So um, the big moment for me uh, taking taking Twitter seriously was during Hurricane Sandy, where it became a, a real-time feed of, of essentially New, New York City going underwater. And, yeah. and it started to become this place where you would check it during you know mass shootings or protests or elections. And that kind of behavior started to spread around the world. And then the other unique thing about Twitter was that unlike Facebook, unlike YouTube, unlike Instagram, you could search the whole thing. Suddenly there's this archive of what it felt like was everything happening in the world at once. And yeah. all of the people who were involved in that activity were also on the site because you had politicians who wanted to be on there. You had every editor, every producer, every studio, every activist, um, even though that com those communities are very small, they're very important IRL. And they all hated being on there. I mean, like by 2015, yeah. no one wanted to be on Twitter. It was physically exhausting, but they felt like they had to be. And once that sort of myth of having to be on the one site 
was demolished around 2022. I think it's almost impossible to, to bring that back. So, so if Twitter were to completely disappear, as we say, that is becoming more and more likely almost every day uh, that goes by now. Um, if that were to go away, how do you think that the way journalism, for example, works would change? Well, w- without Twitter, you guys just got to get rid of Westminster. I mean, your politics won't work <laughs> anymore because uh, yeah. the combination of WhatsApp and Twitter basically ran your country yeah. uh, for many years. The most interesting thing to me here is that Twitter had this had a dual role for the media and for politics, which was that it was not only just a place where you distribute your your thoughts and your pieces and your work, it was also a primary source for getting material for that work. And, and we we actually saw like Russia very quickly realize that they could use this as a vector for misinformation. So all of a sudden they were yeah. creating fake accounts to get put into articles to spread propaganda. Um, and we can debate all day about whether or not that was a useful use of anyone's time, but it was it was it's important that they realize that really quickly. So without this cycle, without this ability to pull up Twitter, one website, very easy, search it for stuff, look at the retweets, be like, okay, there's uh, there, this post has 10,000 retweets. That to me means that it's of some sort of social importance. I'm a journalist. I'm going to figure out how to turn that into content. And then that content starts to impact culture. And we kind of know how this works. Um, that's all broken now. And so in the U.S., there was actually a recent example of how broken this is, which is uh, the claim that teenagers on TikTok were really into sharing uh, Osama bin Laden's letter. Yeah. And then The Guardian reacted by deleting the letter, which caused a a Streisand effect. Uh, Your listeners can Wikipedia that if they need to, uh, which made that people went after it more. And it created the cycle. I dug into it. I looked for a while. It wasn't that big on TikTok. It became big after it got shared to X by journalists because that's kind of the thing that's replacing Twitter, at least in America right now, is is TikToks. They don't function the same way. They don't really reveal the same kinds of things about culture because TikTok is a very different website than Twitter. Um, And so... Right now, as we as Americans are heading into our next election cycle, I think the biggest issue for us is going to be determining what is or isn't real. And in fact, Elon Musk, to bring this all the way back to him, is using this to his advantage because his followers are now claiming based on activity that's happening on X that people are deleting Hulu and Disney Mm. Plus subscriptions. And uh, a journalist uh, from Mashable named Matt Binder was looking into this, and it's not true, but they were using the appearance of this to further their defense of Elon Musk. So the real battlefield in America, at least, I I can't speak to how this is playing out in other countries, really, but in America, the battlefield is over what is or isn't popular. And without Twitter functioning like it used to, anyone can just say something is popular, which then makes it real. And so it's it's sort of like the new version of of debunking misinformation, but it's mm. debunking the zeitgeist, which is is kind of like a, a brain melting problem to have. Yeah, my instinct is that it won't happen the same way in the UK, only because your your pop culture and your society is much more stratified uh, due to class, obviously, and and, and it's mm. older and sort of has a, a bigger tradition of print media. Uh, I think it won't go that way. Also, you, your tabloids have been doing this sort of culture hijacking for 
centuries. So you're very familiar with like the Daily Mail making something up and then everyone having to like scramble to figure out if it's real or not. Yeah. Uh, But now we're having this problem in America and it's it's causing a lot of issues because our culture works very populistly. And so without these sort of numbers and metrics to measure if something is real and if it matters, uh, everyone's kind of losing their minds. (laughs) Yeah. Just around this uh, off a little bit, and I'm glad you brought it back to, to Elon Musk. Um, do you think there could be collateral damage for his other companies, so SpaceX and Tesla, for example, based on his poor performance um, at Twitter? Well, it's definitely an, an interesting question to ask, especially right now as the Cybertruck rolls out to uh, to customers. Yeah. I believe that... A- a large majority of Elon Musk's importance is based on his ability to create a myth about himself as being this visionary genius. If you think Elon Musk is a giant jabbering moron because of his tweets, are you going to get into a car that he designed? Are you going to get into a rocket that he designed? I'm not (laughs) sure. Is that as he kind of reveals more of his incompetence, let's say, with Twitter, it could start to impact his other businesses and create kind of a vicious downward spiral. You know, uh, stakeholder confidence goes down, which, you know, shrinks the market cap, which then causes an exodus of talented workers. And you, can, you it's very possible. In fact, it was a very real problem for Apple after the death of Steve Jobs, this idea of like creating this mythos around Apple that would make you feel comfortable paying over a thousand dollars for a phone. <laughs> like yeah. you kind of have to, you kind of have to keep that going because if you don't, yeah. people are not going to do it. And then just finally, Ryan, this is a wild question and one that you probably can't answer with a yes or no, but do you think bankruptcy is on the cards for Twitter? It's something that Elon Musk brought up, especially if advertisers continue to move away from his platform. Yeah, I do. I mean, I actually think the, the most realistic end game for all of this is that the banks just take it away from him. That is the most common ending to most of these stories. Uh, I, I believe even MySpace, there was a there was kind of a, an incident where like it was sold off for parts. And I, I think like that is very likely is that is that somebody steps in and, and just takes it away from him. Ryan, thanks for your time. Thank you. Unlike Twitter, we're making some changes for the better to the bunker. Over the past few weeks, we ran a reader survey to see what you like most about the podcast, what you don't like, and what we could do better. And one thing was pretty clear from the responses, that we've been giving you slightly too many episodes to keep up with. So from this week, we're going over to a five days a week schedule, Monday to Friday, so we don't swamp you. We'll keep start your week on Mondays and then run four original editions for the rest of the working week, including favorites like The Bunker USA. So you can keep on top of The Bunker and, if you like, catch up on the weekend. That's the new five days a week bunker starting this week, the 4th of December. And as always, you can back us on Patreon. Just £3 a month gets you all of the episodes ad-free and gives you access to some of the sweetest merch on the podcast market just in time for Christmas. It's a no-brainer really, isn't it? Reporting from The Bunker, I'm Chris Jones. The Bunker is presented by Chris Jones. The producer is Liam Tate. Audio productions from me, Robin Lieburn, our music's by Kenny Dickinson, and assistant production by Adam Wright. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>